Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And welcome, one and all, <gasps> to Roll to Cast. This is the season six, the blood-soaked rose post-season <gasps> conjunction. Conjunction, mm-hmm. conjunction. This is our end of season wrap up. I am Phil. I was the GM this season, and I am joined by. Hi, I'm Ellen, and uh, I played the Witcher Eve of Hirch. Or I can't still do the accent; it's been too long. Eva Birch. Yeah, really close cool. enough. Eva Birch. You'll get into it over the course of the yeah. episode, I'm sure. <laughs> I am and will always be Sean, and I played the uh, the lovable mage, Aurelius Tarnell. Lovable, yes. Is anyone lovable? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of lovable, <laughs> it's Chris Bond playing Brioch. You know, a lovable merchant. merchant. Chris Bond is lovable. lovable. Chris Bond is maybe lovable. <laughs> Brioch is definitely lovable. Right? Uh, right? I don't know if it's wise to love him. Yeah, um, maybe. Yeah. Uh, the lovable elven merchant. This is, yeah, mm, becomes right. very oh, important right. to the yeah. season. Yes, what? Yes, yes. He's an elf. Yeah, right. Yeah. 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 I'm just finding this out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so what is this? This is our uh, end of season wrap up. If this is your first season of Rollcast, well, welcome. Thank you very much for listening to an entire season. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we've got a bunch of other seasons out there for you to to go back and listen to, and hopefully many more in front. But what we do is we get together at the end of the season. We have a bit of a catch up. We talk about our favourite moments and we reflect on the season, and we answer questions that our community and uh, our fans have asked us on our community Discord. So 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 many questions this time oh, around. Yeah, yes. tons. <laughs> Y'all are curious. (laughs) Yeah. And thank you for sending them through because we love answering questions. We just love to hear ourselves talk. It's kind of why we're doing it for a very long time. (laughs) So, Discord and Twitter is largely where we get the majority of our questions from. Occasionally, we get people from YouTube as well. And sometimes on the street. Yeah. Hey, you. Hey, you. What'd you think of The Witcher? (laughs) It's just like a a reflection, isn't it? No. It's just a nice way to look back in the season that was. Just a bit of a debrief, please. (laughs) (laughs) A little cool down. Before we dive into all of that though um just take a moment to say a big big thank you to all of our patrons who make the show possible mm-hmm. uh, if you'd like to support the show as well you can go to patreon.com forward slash roll to cast there are lots of benefits over and above helping us make the show and uh, and fund all the different bits and pieces that go into making it including joining the uh community the um, patreon only side of the discord where you, you. Get to, uh, where you get to to vote on special little things we do and also you just have a direct ear into our souls. There you yes. go. That's right. You know how there's an ear yes. into your soul. officer yeah. at work. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Don't Thank worry, you. I got Save you. me from my brain fart. But I got you, you, fam. If you can't support us on Patreon, the best thing you can do is share it on the social media. We yeah. appreciate that a lot. So thank you to everyone who supports us by doing that. Absolutely. You know what? 
I have a question yeah. that I want to go right oh, off the oh, bat oh, for whoa, you, Phil. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Because you know what? This is like a this is a, this is a, a, a bit of payback because you got the first question on me in Ambrosia Island. I want to give you the first question. <gasps> I did leap on that, didn't Sean? I? Before you ask your question, I have a question. Ah. <laughs> in this Can episode, re- are we going to release to the public the next season? Oh yes, absolutely. So just as a heads up, if you're uh, first time to this season, if yes. this is your first season, we're going to re- tell you what the next season is in this episode. But you got to listen right to you the end. Wait to the don't, end. Skip, don't skip to the end. You won't know where it is. Podca- <laughs> yeah. we, you can't do that on a podcast. You don't know if it's going to be at the end. <laughs> it could be now. It's not. But it's not. <laughs> so Phil, great. Yes. My first question to you: Why the Witcher? Like honestly, like why why did you decide to choose The Witcher and what gravitates you towards The Witcher and that world? Uh well The Witcher is uh, it's got a bit of a, a bit of cultural cachet at the moment. I won't lie. That that's part of it. Yeah. You like it's Henry Cavill in tight pants. Um look, I was super excited about Henry Cavill in tight pants. Who wouldn't be? Yeah. Uh, I loved the TV show. Uh, I know the second season was maybe had a bit of a mixed reception. I loved it. Oh, I, I loved, loved it. it. Yeah. I had a good time. Yeah. I love the video <laughs> games. I haven't read the books personally, but the world is very fascinating. It's it and you know, it fits the games that I've done so far, ones that are dark, gritty, have very uh heavy consequences mm. and kind of complex grey themes. That's my f- that's the thing I like to explore. You're also just our RTG guy as well. Yeah, that's right. It's yeah. in a system that I've I've run runs on Interlock, which is uh the same system the two Cyberpunk games we've done run on. So it wasn't too much of a stretch for me there. And so it was just exciting to to have all those things come together um and I I formed a pretty good idea for a story for it and it just kind of ran from there. I will say you probably have the best grasp of European accents. Of the, yes. Of what do you mean? European and UK accents. Yeah, mine become Irish, all of them. So uh, it's, a, it's a worry. <laughs> I didn't I have an Irish accent. You should have. Herzog, it's and right. that's it. <laughs> if we'd have gone one door to the right, that's where the Irish person would have been. Yeah, <laughs> I can it. do a bit of an Irish. Okay? That's good. Could perhaps have squeezed one in there. Go Northern Irish. No, no, you're there actually, you well, I've done that. Paddy Ashton. <laughs> Nor I. We can't have subtitles as it's only audio. Because <laughs> I guess that, that also like brings me up to like the second part of the question is, you know, because you always- oh my God, there's two parts? I know, right? I'm Whoa. just coming hard and fast. Whoa. Especially when we did Cyberpunk Red, you had a very good grasp on what the story was going to be. Like you pumped that story out fucking quick. Yeah. Um, what was kind of like the, the impulse for this particular story? Uh, <laughs> Chris, mm. is, Chris is stroking his chin. Phil, you, you created a, a setting, a system, a world where uh, our three principal characters were locked down mm. in a lockdown of some sort. Oh, yeah. Unable <laughs> yeah. to uh. leave a, a destination. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. Where political machinations way above their pay grade were kind of dictating what was happening to their circumstances. Sorry, it's not ringing a bell. No, yeah. I don't know where you're getting at. <laughs> no, sure you're getting Did it enter your I, brain at all? No, no, not really. I, I th- so, I think it might have influenced you. I think I've, what I've said, I've said this before and, and it's Basically, how I approach most RPG writing is I wait for the characters to come and then hello. I hello, and then I kind of build from there what kind of story they fit into. Uh, and so I think Aurelius's character was actually the kind of a couple of points in Aurelius's story were the kind of the driver for it. So you had this very clear idea that you wanted an adversary that you were chasing down. Yeah. And so from there, I was like, okay, well, if we have this adversary, how are we gonna sort of? What if we cornered her? What if that was the idea? Uh, and that kind of spawned this idea of trapping you in a, in a city and then making it kind of dire and desperate and cold, kind of built on top of that. And yeah, the the, the kind of elven rebellion also kind of just came out of the circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. It's great having all of the, you know, the rising tension just confined in one place because then it just ramps up and up and up and up and no one can leave. <laughs> I mean, actually, Razine probably could leave at any time she wants because, you know, portals... Uh, <laughs> oh, oh yeah. but she has a reason to be there. She has a mission, so that that kind of kept her in place. <laughs> yeah. 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 There you go. I asked the shit I wanted to ask yeah. you. Yeah. Portals kind of ruin things sometimes. No, you're just not yeah. thinking with. Oh, portal, I got to think. Portal yeah. did it. Yeah. Yeah. With um, They're unsteady. Yeah. Is this just yeah. ask Phil questions? I just, those are two things that I just very much were keen to know about. Oh, cool, well, should we cool, jump cool. into before we answer our questions from our lovely audience? Should we go around and select some favorite? moments of the season. Oh, it's yeah. a great idea, yeah. Yeah. Well volunteered. 
Oh, great. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, oh, mine was when I won the game. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> when I made a broken character and slipped it by fit. And no, I'm joking. <laughs> um, I'm really joking there. Um, definitely joking. He's um, not. Uh, I don't know. My favorite moment definitely would be, I think, very o- very early on. Very early on, we were accosted by two guards, uh, the guards at the gate. Once uh, we got inside, once we, we got the inside, conflict. Once we got inside, and there yes. was a verbal conflict, yes. and there was a verbal combat that we we sort of stepped into from a system point of view. Yeah, and I rolled garbage. Mm. I rolled yeah. like crit one, crit one, crit one. I'm like, this is what my character is supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be talking my way out of this situation. <laughs> this sucks. But then I had, and then we had the mage just go, nah, magic. Nah. <laughs> yeah. Do that. And that was a great moment for me because I was like, oh, that's the setting. Majors mm. just fucking win sometimes. Yes. They're just like, hey, uh, get fucked. Mm. Yeah. You're now understanding the problem with the Spitfire wax dynamic. I was like, I spend so long and you're like, net run. Yeah. yeah. Like, no, cool. I net guess. Net run. Fuck me. I think majors are supposed to be that powerful. They're supposed to be specialized, but they're also supposed to be fucking scary. Yeah. And so that yeah. was a cool moment where, you know, here's this little elf guy being like, hey, excuse me, please, I'm going to talk my way. And it's just like, no, get out of the way. Stop we hate ha- you. No, and more than that, the mage just to go, this is an irrelevant, <laughs> boring conversation to me. Stop having it. We have better things to do. Stop Why did trying- I not do this 10 minutes yeah, ago? This is, this is it, just get out of the way. This is this is um, minor deity. Sort of, like I'm a minor deity, get out of the way peasant sort yeah. of stuff. Yeah. And it was, it was a really cool moment. It was uh, setting, you know, appropriate. Uh, Ellen, let's hear from you. There was a really interesting back and forth, I think, with even Brioc. It was a, it was kind of like a, a missed communications of not understanding how the other works, of why are you bowing to Aurelius, why this kind of false sense of not not friendship, but like uh, you know servitude, really, and that not being communicated well on Eve's part, and it not being understood on Brioc's part. I feel like this has been the first season to have a character who cannot really communicate that well. Yeah, <laughs> which kind it's of a kills, different character for you as well. In, kills in that me regard. a little bit because yeah. I like to talk out my feelings. <laughs> it's a very different character for you. I definitely know that Brioc understood what you were right. Yeah, yeah. But I, I knew that you were playing a Witcher. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they have famously like trained low empathy, mm-hmm. and so that blunted emotions, blunted yeah. emotions, and that yeah. sort of thing. So steering into that was useful, and also just to kind of no sell it, just to be like, mm, I don't get what you mean. Yeah, yeah. But what, yeah. Are you, what are you talking about? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not doing that. Um, was just, a, yeah, it was a good moment, and you know, I think further the Witcher character. Yeah, like it just it it showed how fraught these these times are for for everyone in the universe yes it is the thing of like mages and witches and and what have you can kind of go through worlds in different spheres of power but really everyone's fucked in the end like everyone's a a slave to kind of like this basic lack of being able to reach over to one another yeah that's Mm. kind of our blood-soaked rose like shirt that we'll make is everyone's fucked in the end. It's basically the, the theme end. of the season. Yeah, no, it doesn't matter. You know, <laughs> I think our shirt is hello friend or something. Hello friend. Yeah. yeah. My friend, my good friend. Yeah. My friend um, with a knife in hovering yeah. just moments away. <laughs> I think for myself, I was trying to think of like <laughs> moments for Aurelius. Um, and I really, there was a, a a bit on my character sheet that I was trying to figure out, when am I going to be able to use this? Can I use this? And will it be the right time to use it? And that was the hydromancy ritual. And that was also a particular moment where I had a fun bit of kind of to and fro with you, Phil, where, you know, I'm notoriously shit at describing things in grand detail. And that's when you come in and fill in the blank. So, I was like, <laughs> I kind of, I say what it is that I'm doing and then you embellished it further. And then that's I would why. say this and then you would embellish more. And then to have it have a narrative, like it has a narrative thrust associated with it. I was like, okay, cool. That's what gets us from act two to act three. Yes. yes. Yeah. And it had yeah. such like, And I was good. I was like, good. This is exactly what I wanted to use it for. And I waited as like it was an end game thing. Yeah. And so, it had such like a good payoff for myself personally as a player. I went, cool. I started that correctly. Yes. Um, And it's just a nice little like feather in my cap to be like, oh, and it just turned out perfectly. And just to have the the come hither. Yes. The the drama of it. And that drawback is one of the reasons you don't just immediately leap to using it, right? So, it feels right that it's like, well, why didn't you just hydromancy from the beginning? 
is because there's the risk, which is entailed, is she finds, she looks back and yeah. sees you and then she meal. knows that you're coming. That's right? it. Yeah. Or it just might not work. And the thing yeah. is, yeah. it doesn't necessarily work once. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Like it, it, it was like I had to factor it into my starting gold. Yeah. To get all that shit. And it's so expensive. Yeah. It's super expensive. Yeah. As the Witcher components. knows. Oh, I couldn't afford half of the things that I needed for like the starting yeah. gold that you have is very low. Yeah, yeah. if you're a Witcher. Yeah. But a mage and a merchant, we're rolling oh, in it. I rolled, Good for you. I rolled, <laughs> I rolled for my starting gold and got the max amount. Yeah, you and did. Even that, I yeah. was like barely got yeah. what I wanted. I think, I think it's really interesting that some of the most strong characters have the littlest gold. Yeah. And it's like, it's a, yeah, it's a really interesting yeah. system. It's a Scrappy mechanic, like yeah. yeah, we talked a little bit to Cody about you know that about uh, how that mechanic kind of goes into the game, but it's a really long creation period, kind of so that you care about your character and like yeah. you care about the mechanics of this world and and how it feels to be a character living and breathing and walking around and not having resources to do things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not usually one for resource tracking. I, I sometimes find it bogs down, but this being like a a deprived siege environment, it was kind of necessary yeah. to like tax your resources and keep track of them. That's part of the mm. tension yeah. as well. And that was that, you know, y- yeah, that was the thing for Briok is like, you've got these powerful characters. His power was in his ability and his, you know, uh, reserves of money of, of having stuff to, to spend that made him extremely valuable in this situation. Mm. Can I business? Can I business? Um, can I business? Yes, you can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did, did you do your favourite moment? I no. didn't. I didn't. Um, so, uh, uh, Which one of us is your favourite? <laughs> no, Daddy doesn't play favourites. <laughs> he does. We're just not allowed to know. Yeah. Look. Oh, yeah. But that's like normal parents. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Eve dying changed the game. Yes. It was such <laughs> it was such a game changer, you know? And it was it just, it just put me in, in such a kind of new territory of like, okay, well, what happens now? <laughs> you can't plan for every eventuality when you write a campaign and and you kind of you make kind of funnels and things basically to kind of push people narratively towards the end that wasn't really in any of my plans and it kind of shortcut a couple of ways to get to Razine so yeah that was exciting and really kind of up the stakes both in the story and for me as a storyteller so yeah for me that was a big moment and then just a minor moment would have been peggy just peggy peggy just peggy i just love peggy she's a great character um I loved playing her. She's super minor, but she just had a little bit of texture to the world yeah. that I yeah. that I, I just really enjoyed. I think it's super important though because you do see those moments of beauty and kindness in The Witcher underneath all the shit, yeah. underneath all the muck and blood. You've got and to really grime. wait for it though. Yeah, but it's like that's the thing, you know. It's you grabbing these moments of peace and calm and and life and love before life throws another heaping pile of <laughs> shit yeah. and chaos upon you. It's a world of contradictions. You look at yeah. Ger- yes. Geralt. Doesn't get involved. What a liar. <laughs> Quote, what a unquote. fucking liar. The but, most involved man in the al- conjunction. But he always gets involved yes. for the, the greater good. As good as he can do. Yes. Right? And yeah. that's the that's the contrast. Now, we've got so many questions. Yeah, I think, I've got yeah. a question. Right. Should we, just, should we, I think we should just get into them. Oh, yeah. yes. That's it. That's and it. We'll, we'll talk more about the characters and stuff it's as through we the questions. Through yeah. the questions yeah. right? yeah. So uh, here's a little fun thing. In, in terms of how we're going to structure the questions, if you're a part of our Discord, um, and you're chatting away on the Discord, you get first dips here. Yeah. We're reading from the Discord first, so yep. we are going to discuss the Discord right now. Boo. Links in the description no, if you want to yeah. join. Links in the description if you want to join. Um, so I'm not going to start with a Sean question because that just feels a bit... No, I'll do it. <laughs> no, you I'll can. Do it. No, you I'm going to go with this one. Okay. okay. All right. <laughs> Phil, oh. this is from Roleplaying Grenade. With a lethal system like The Witcher, are you ever tempted to pull punches in a one-shot like this to keep everyone at the table? Having a PC die halfway through the arc surely isn't ideal, and you have stated how the Katakan and Razine had great stats. Was that danger purposeful to the story? Yes and yes. Uh, no, sorry. <laughs> no, no and yes. Yeah. No, I'm never tempted to pull punches. I never pull punches at uh, the rolls cast table. Won't do it. Never will. All the rolls are open. I don't play with a GM screen here. In something that's a more casual table and something like D&D, Sean knows this full well. I got a very, very (laughs) generous battle with you once. (laughs) He got about... Six fudged rolls to survive that one. Um, it was great. It was I, fine. I felt good. <laughs> but not here. Not at this table. The dice fall where they may, and, and that's it. Did I pick powerful enemies? 
Yes. Yes, I did. I wanted it to be dangerous. I, I, I still think, and I've always maintained, that the party could have overcome both of those obstacles. Yeah, had two of the three it, party members been in the fight. Yeah. together. <laughs> so, it ended up just Eve one on one Eve got very unlucky with her roles, unfortunately, as well. Uh, the mage couldn't cast. It was a one in four whether he would turn that night. So, that was, again, it was a roll of the dice. But you thought that I would take the collar off, that I would... You thought oh. I wasn't going to shackle myself. Yeah. Yes, that's what I thought you might do. I thought you might take it off, cast some spells before you turned, or just be a werewolf and use <laughs> just that be to a win. Werewolf. And then Briok is, I, I, I think he was, see, he's a very complex character. I thought he was maybe conflicted because the catacomb was there to defend his people. That's why he didn't take the shots initially. Otherwise, uh, with their support, I think they could have killed the Katakan and then Razine uh, was very powerful because she's the big bad. She yeah. has to be threatening. Yes, it's a little difficult when someone dies halfway through the campaign, but them's the breaks. Mm. Um, it's happened there's, before. There's precedent for yeah. it. Yeah, we've, yeah. Done, we've had it before. Usually it's it's good overall for mm. the story. It's yeah. around similar time, I think. Uh, oh, hang on. Not quite. I was actually talking to my partner about this, um, who has a question coming up later on. Hey, cutie. Um that's a one-on-one message that Disgusting. a whole bunch of people have listened to. Anyway, <laughs> anyway um, uh, Eve's death happens at the end of Act 1. Bob's death happens at the beginning of Act 2. Yes, mm. it's very And slightly. so tonally it shifts going into Act 2 as opposed to moving through Act 2. Act yeah. 2, it becomes a, an entirely different uh, yeah. story based on the, the kind of paranoia and fear of two characters not trusting each other. That's how uh, yes. Eve dies. Whereas in uh, going mainstream, Bob's death highlights the significant stakes. Whereas in and this- And Bob deliberately went off on his own And as well. Bob yeah. went off on his own. Whereas in this game, we're like, yeah, we know the stakes. So yeah, I think they, they're, they're different enough that they have a huge impact going, particularly mm. towards the end. I do also like that like that kind of parallel or that, that uh, juxtaposition of in, in going mainstream- a person purposely chooses to go off on their own and in The Witcher, a person gets forced on their own. Yeah, yeah. a person yeah. is betrayed yeah. to, to be on their own, mm. effectively. Yeah. The early part of the story is very combat light. There's nothing happens, basically, in terms of combat. Yes. Lots yes. happens. So I felt like if we were going to build to a monster fight, we were going to build to something, it had to be significant. Had yes. to be big. So I, so I picked something that I thought was at the upper end of what you could take on. So speaking of uh, monsters and monster hunters, uh, this question comes from Cafetiel. I don't know if y'all talk about this ever, but uh, what was Eve's deal? <laughs> was there a fun, torturous past that had come back to bite her? Or was she walking the path and kind of along for Aurelius's ride? Yeah, uh, Sean, you and I talked about this because we, we decided we to interlink our backstories. Yes. Um, as is a fun thing to do at the Rollcast table to make sure that the characters have some stakes in being involved in each other's lives. So I rolled all of my life path things, as I always do. There was an instance in Eve's life where she regretted not slaying a monster or not sl- sorry not slaying a mage and i had conversely had rolled that there was a point where a, a witcher owes me something yes and i figured it was because it was uh roughly around the period of eve's life where she was actually trying to gain some empathy around the world that she didn't <laughs> kill a mage was kind of like I'll let you off on a warning get the fuck out or I will kill you then comes back to that town realizing that the mage has <laughs> left havoc in her wake and then dealing with these new feelings of of guilt and whatnot makes an oath to kind of redeem herself yeah. in some way yeah owing it to Aurelius not that he even knew no Aurelius knew nothing of this and that no. was something that didn't get touched upon but it's just a, a little thing we have in our back pocket if it if it's a thread that could have been pulled on yes yeah. maybe if you'd have survived and it allows yeah. it allows for story moments like having those justified character chats mm. I love the fact that the uh, Eve as a witcher learnt some empathy and then got punished for it yeah, yeah it's a super tragic story it's uh, I'm not gonna lie it made me real sad yeah <laughs> Uh, it was such a contradicting amount of roles as well for her life path where, you know, it was kind of like it was from a really vicious school of witchery. However, it was a witchery school that like not known for neutrality, known for being assassins. However, one of them was like broke neutrality. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? So I had to like kind of create this this idea of a character. And when I was rolling for where is your character now, it was kind of like trying to live a normal life. And I was like... 
Oh, I don't know if that works. But How then does it, one do that? Yeah, but it's kind of like, you know, is that more tragic for a story to have a kind of person trying to be on the... The straight and narrow. On the straight and yeah. narrow, essentially. A, and it's like witch's you know, version of that is. Yeah. yeah, you son of a bitch. Now every time I get, <laughs> I get pulled back in again. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it would have been something yeah. for me to pull on later. Yes. Like if she had made it in front of Razine... There's that confrontation, the same thing that she tried to do the with them. The pitch. Yeah. The pitch that Eve is kind of different because Eve has the skin in the game of like, I should have killed you. Speaking of backstories, Chris, you have a bit of a backstory in uh, TTRPGs going back well, well away. And you are very adept at systems. Yes. You love looking at systems and yes. the way that they kind of work with one another. Yes. So I want to, this isn't directly pitched at you, but I want to pitch it at you. Okay. Kendrix23 says, and I'm just uh, changing fusion to interlock for the purposes of this mm. question. Yeah. Having first-hand experience with it in both genres, how well does the interlock system mesh with the fantasy setting of The Witcher compared to the sci-fi dystopia of cyberpunk? I would say very well. I think it's like the Warhammer fantasy setting. Dark Heresy, you're thinking of? No, 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 no. The, oh, the fantasy, the fantasy uh, TTRPG f- uh, system um, has a very brutal system as well. It's similar to Dark Heresy. Yeah. Um, I... I Personally, I'm a big fan of uh, brutal systems that punish characters. Um, I, I don't play kind of aspirational characters. I play kind of like um, morality characters, like more uh, uh, cautionary tales um, or like ways to reflect on the human condition in a character. So by like pushing them to the extreme, you can reflect on them. I think this is a really interesting system because the premise of it says that attacking and defending are fundamentally dangerous propositions to both participants, mm. yes. right? As we saw in the game, you can roll a one on defending and have it end up worse. Yeah. Hurting you. Yeah. Hurting you. So the idea of engaging yourself in combat, getting the first strike is really, really significant. I think that tells this story and particularly in The Witcher very, very well. They're not going to want to dive headlong in, right? It's, it's not... You're not all playing witches, right? Because mm. if you were, you would be... Um, what's the, the famous thing in the books? Pirouetting all the time. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. 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 Semicircles. Semicircles, pirouettes. Um, you would use a, a sword in the, the Griffin style or the... Oh, um, God, I right. wrote a whole bunch of these down, yeah. <laughs> right, I think, I, think, <laughs> I think it's the, the Griffin style. The fiery dancer, yeah, yeah exactly, in Elvish, right? whatever just, that is. I need this for Luke because Luke is our fan. Twirling, 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 twirling towards freedom. freedom. <laughs> um, and monster hunting. And, and that, I think, is... Is would be a very different system. The fact that you're playing many of the kind of mortal characters, the the bystanders, the participants, um, whether choosing to be involved or not, choosing to deliberately be involved or not uh, in this game, means that the game has to be brutal. means that life can be snuffed out in an instant mm. and that uh, even choosing to defend yourself is a dangerous choice. So the push from a system perspective into the narrative is hey, do everything you can to avoid combat, which is good because it encourages people to fucking roll over and give you whatever you want. Yeah. Right? Mm. Oh, I actually don't want to defend myself because it could end worse for me. So I'm going to give you the gold. I'm going to give you the... I'm going to hand it over. It's, yeah. I, I, I don't want to fight. To answer the question about like how do the how do the settings go with the system? Yeah, the cyberpunk to the fantasy. To build on what Chris has said, both of those worlds and this kind of flavor of fantasy world, they are brutal dangerous worlds with heavy consequences right yeah and the interlock system fumbles on a one crits on a 10 it's pretty common (laughs) yeah Yeah, you've got yeah so often actually it's very very swingy because on a d20 there's you know half as much chance you're going to hit that critical right and even in most d20 systems crits are hey you do a bit more damage Whereas crits in this, they explode. In The Witcher, criticals, these these differences between scores grow into these terrible wounds and, and awful injuries. In 2020, guns are just extremely lethal. Mm. Uh, yeah. And, and you, can just, you can just die in a round and any shot can stun you. Something they softened in, in red. red. Yeah. Which re- makes red and, red and interlock don't work as well together. Because it has, it's a very swingy game that's like anything can happen at any time. But Red has a lot it's more, more cush- forgiving. It yeah. has more cushioning between you yeah. and death. So you have higher hit point totals, uh, more effective armor, and cover is better. So there's less of, there's still the criticals keep that kind of juiciness or the risk in there, but they don't quite mesh as well. Because I think my answer is that the best thing that Interlock does well is sudden. And terrible consequences. Now there's a shirt. <laughs> I, 
<laughs> I'd, I'd say that red using the interlock system makes it a more hopeful game, which is in tone yes. with its se- setting. Yeah. So I, I'd, I'd say I'd say it uses it pretty well. But um, yeah, it's uh, all different strokes for different folks. Well, That's right. I didn't say yeah. it's, it's a complete mismatch. No, 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 no. no, no, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. well, roll for initiative, the two of you. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> fine. See if Brioc can take out the yeah. <laughs> Just handle it like players and fight across the table. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you can be Brioc. <laughs> I'm 20 knackers. Oh, <laughs> Brioc will win. Wait, <laughs> we'd be coming into the woods. Just take out the narrator. Yeah. Oh, wow. What would that game be like? Um, Someone write it. So this is uh, from Hurricane Hawk. Well, I'll go ahead and ask. <laughs> when did you decide that Aurelius effectively had nothing to live for? Was it always that his obsession with his whole reason for being? Or was it an in-the-moment thing once it was done? Absolutely was the long game from the entire from the inception of the characters. I, I kind of made it clear in episode zero that he's been doing this shit for 30 years with the sole purpose of finding this one person. And the one time that he gets close enough to do any sort of damage, he gets a terrible curse from it. And that doesn't deter him. Hmm. And that's a fundamental truth about Aurelius is that basically he can see as far as Razine. He's never been able to see beyond Razine, but he had no illusions around the fact that there probably is nothing beyond Razine. And that's where I kind of pushed to have that moment with Flavio, I believe his name was. The, yes. Uh, the, yeah. The, the man of the night. The sex yes. worker. Sex worker. Um, to kind of show what an Aurelius may look like beyond that. And just seeing a tired beaten down man who knows that this is probably his last night. So it is something that I knew from the beginning. I didn't know if, you know, to use acting terminology, it was his super objective. To find out what Razine's answer was, whether it was the truth or not, and then take her down. Aurelius yeah. ain't old either for a mage. No. He's no. like 40. That's he, like He nothing. was like mid 40s, but yeah. he's been at this since he was 10. So he basically yeah. had the body of a 60 year old, right? Like he's yeah. he's a beaten down, weathered man who knows nothing beyond the chase. Who's been carrying a curse yeah. Yeah. for a long yeah. time as well now and, and hiding it from people. And so I never knew whether it was something that would be like, I didn't know how it was going to end. I obviously knew that there was a big possibility he dies, mm. but also I was looking at the possibility that he succeeds in his goal and then the, the joy is seeing what happens beyond that yeah i mean to my imagination he has like a long dark night of the soul where he just he doesn't know what the hell he's supposed to do anymore he doesn't Mm. know what his place is and you know maybe disappears off the map into the bottle for for 20 years or something or just who knows thanos is it you know finds a a nice countryside place to just not do anything for the rest of his life Mm. yeah yeah okay let's tick that one off the list here we're rocking we're rollicking through them (laughs) these are great questions guys yeah there's plenty more (laughs) um oh you know just just because we've touched on this a little bit but i think this is worth going into um just because it's you know what no you're a twitter question you can wait Um, the hierarchy. This is from Slowpoke. Okay. Uh, Slowpoke. Hey, Slowpoke. How you doing? Uh, Slowpoke. Have you been tempted by the idea of getting other players to do NPC voices? What's the thinking process behind whether to do that or not? Phil often uh-huh. just does it. <laughs> a, a, I freaking love doing NPCs and doing voices for them. I love both preparing NPCs and having them thrust upon me by player decisions and just having to make them up. It's part of the joy of being a GM for me is, is just to jump into someone's shoes for a moment and... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And see what they want and see how they respond to people. Like the people in the cave in Mystery Down Under. Well, I was going to say, Phil. like, Phil just jumped in and did it. I was like, yay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I like, the, I like the guards who refuse 
as we were talking about that moment earlier when Brioc tries to charm them and he they're just horrible and racist towards yeah. him and make fun of him, it's fun to just jump into those people, right? Hmm. But I think the main reason that we don't have guests in to do NPCs is it's too hard. We record these in sort of intense batches in the room where we can look over the top of our mics at directly in each other's eyes, use that very present, in-the-moment acting. And you know, there's lo- lots of people we'd love to collaborate with but you, we'd have to get them to Adelaide for, you know, eight-hour days yeah. for we don't a whole wanna, weekend. We don't yeah. want to record, like, remotely. It's just not the way we do it. Or we'd no. have to take something that we'd done previously and probably get people to re-record that. Or yeah. we just have to have a real clear vision on on what an NPC would say prior. It's around this table that Rollcast is is made and formed, and that's why I think there's a real spontaneity, but also, like, you know, it's, it's live performance that is happening in front of you which trying to translate through someone like doing either post or yeah you know or pre they do a yeah. pre-recording well and the then, closest yeah. we've come is with you ellen what do you mean with uh send, <laughs> oh, yeah. it, send her down huey we did that's, that's yeah we have had an npc yeah that was technically yeah, I guess. technically that is that is one example it's of in that. it's in universe recording yeah. in in mystery down under so no one had to interact with it no. <laughs> thankfully but uh, yeah that was a pre-recorded npc yeah. Basically, and yeah. then Chris has the story, which I think we've told before. I think we have, but mm. I'll tell it again. Yeah. Um, for those of you that haven't listened to the vampire, uh, the vampire season, which is season two, um, I intended to have uh, Sean's character's sire, the person Taylor. who turned him into a vampire, Taylor, to be played by a good friend of mine. The trouble was, this friend of mine, Stuart. He couldn't wait six or eight hours just to give up a day, right? Just yeah. to hang mm. out near the studio. Jeez, right? Just to. Just to wait for <laughs> his moment. He, yeah. would, he would have done a fantastic job. He would have been guided through the scene by me and he would have smashed it out of the park. But the logistics of it mean that if, for instance, Sean wants to call that character up the following day and talk to him. Then well, we have to wait. Well, shit. Then I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I got to get Stuart back in. Here. Oh, yeah. no, he's, he's gone. Oh, sh- okay. Well, then that we, we got we to gotta hold and, and wait. So it, it, get becomes, him on the phone. it becomes really <laughs> logistically difficult. I yeah. think the other option that we have, and one that I'm not a fan of in this circumstance uh, in Roll to Cast, is having other players put on, like players around the table, mm. uh, taking on NPCs. And we talked about that briefly. Predominantly, because we only have like 20 episodes a season, we tend to be pretty efficient with our time. We mm. try and be for you as an audience. And so um, if it's an NPC, that's for a bit of a laugh. That's that's fine. But yeah. any kind of major NPCs are always thought out way ahead. Yeah. We do not want the players to not know information in advance. We don't want them to know information in advance so that they there's an organic surprise. Mm. We yeah. are telling yeah. a story collaboratively, but we're also usually one person telling a story to three others and to all of you as well. That helps um, facilitate that storytelling convention, that podcast listening convention. And so um, we don't want to give a, a cheat sheet to a player. We also don't want them to feel uncomfortable playing an NPC that's been thrust upon them. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think that's Better a- for that to be the GM's problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And before we move on, yes. we do have a live show that happens on the last... Last weekend of every month, which is where you're much more likely to see guests. Uh, we haven't we haven't quite done it yet, but it's we definitely something we've we've floated on a little the cards. bit. Uh, so it's on the cards. So if there were to be a guest on Roll to Cast, tune in at the end of the month. You might see one. But there. also, you can get that as a Patreon tier as well. If you just want to be you playing, can. The game. you can be mm. the guest. Yes, yes. Another guest. guest that got uh, in touch with us on the Discord, <laughs> Az. Hey, AZ. Hey, yo. Hey, easy, easy like hey, a Sunday easy. morning. Hi, Was there any situations in this season where the path the players took was significantly different to the plan? Look, Eve dying was a bit of a thorn I didn't in my side. To die. Um, <laughs> that's basically the major one. As I said before, you're trying to funnel people towards where you want them to go. So, one of the major things that I thought would happen was they'd kill the catacomb and Eve would use her Witcher senses to find the catacombs lair, which is like a sewer grate in the alleyway, right? That gets you down into the sewers, into the catacombs, and you can follow that trail and find Razine, right? Mm. Boom, that's gone. None of you guys found the catacombs lair. There were clues that if you'd roll well enough, you could have found it. I don't think you even looked for it. So I was basically like, oh, crap, I don't know how to get into Razine anymore. So that was a bit of a, a rough thing, but... There are other ways. So eventually, if you pull the thread with Vali, Vali gets you an audience with Razine. You get in that way. So I try to plan it such that what 
I have contingencies. Yeah, you have safeguards. Yeah. I have mm-hmm. safeguards. I have multiple ways for getting them where I want to go. So it's not a railroad and it feels organic whichever way they take. I've planned a few different possible paths. And also, were there any moments where the game mechanics reinforced the world to an extent you did not expect? Brackets, apart from the lethality with The Witcher. There, I mean, we've kind of brushed on it before, but yeah, scarcity was a big one for me. Like, I think it was a big driving thing for, for my character just because witches start out with very few resources and very few means to get them they are dependent upon getting jobs and and earning that cash and it's hard jobs and you know it it drives a desperation there because you just can't start out with like many good materials or money like that yeah yeah yeah. that that search for materials and and Knowing that these alchemical things are rare yeah. and difficult, I think was was really nice. It made it, it made you feel really like the world had texture. And- it it literally informed why I picked my character. Mm. When when we discussed in pre production, uh, Ellen wanted to play the Witcher character. I went, great, cool. I'll play a, a resource heavy character. Yeah. Well, yeah. you knew uh, that there was a mage and a Witcher, didn't you? Yeah, and so I knew that um, resources were going to be part of the story. Because mm. um, you were going to be a man at arms. I was going to be a man at arms. Yeah, yeah. 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 I was, was going to be even more dangerous in combat. Yeah. Um, no, I, I genuinely, yeah, I was going to play a man at arms. I was going to play a really, really, really minor character. I realized that with a Witcher and a mage, I, I absolutely had to play minor there's no point trying to do anything else uh more acting terminology someone without the power someone without the power yeah and so recognizing that uh majors are often well equipped financially but witches are not um majors are often well equipped financially to look after themselves um their component spells and, and that sort of stuff cost a lot as we could see with the uh what was it called um, hydromancy, hydromancy, hydromancy thank you. Yes. i nearly called it aquamancy um <laughs> aquaman aquaman um the hydromancy is expensive and so i knew i had to kind of round out the group um i think one of the big systems that informed setting was the character development that ellen you talked about yeah. earlier but that absolutely did so mm. much work completely different depending on what kind of class and i, I think yeah. thanks chris to, for helping me because creating a witcher in the book is it's like in a completely different section to yeah, creating the other yeah. characters yeah. and it has a kind of different life path yeah but then some things aren't clear to where they are the same as a normal life path and it was just like where is it do, do, there is such variety in who you choose to play as. Yes, in the, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Life Path's a great system. It's in most of the RTG games. It's wow, we, we love, love it. Okay, so we'll jump on to section M. You've got um, a few questions. Yeah, right? section M. let's we punch got, through this. Something for each of these. Yeah, um, beautiful. So let's start with Ellen. Oh. Ellen. It is a shame we had to miss out on Eve and you at the table as well. Uh, what have you done to the dice that led you down in the fight? Uh, what are you most sad about that we did not get to see about Eve in this season? And what are you most chuffed about that we that you did get to do with Eve? What did I do the uh, dice? Nothing. That's just how dice work. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it's just it's simple. I always get a bit miffed when people are like, why are you rolling so bad? I'm like, it's literally how dice fucking work. <laughs> Please don't put that upon me as a player as if I don't have enough like stress to deal with, you know, with like sorting out a game. That's why we use dice. <laughs> like, I love it. She's the witch. She's not superstitious yeah. at all. No, no. <laughs> Whereas I am. Yeah. I'm very superstitious. Uh, I, mean, yeah, I, 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 I do yeah. have like my general like ritual thing, but I know in the end it doesn't help me, but it's just a thing I like to do to make me feel like I'm prepared for a game, uh-huh. right? Sure. It's more of an aesthetic thing where I charge my dice on a sigil. So um, what didn't we get to see of Eve? God, I, I think it... it I would have liked to see that character test her understanding of humanity, I I suppose. And I think I I would have really loved a reveal of she's the one who let Rosine go. The Aurelius. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, And and why she hung around with Aurelius. Just that reveal of because of me, your parents died, your life changed, and I'm trying to write that. That would have been... A hell of a confrontation. I'm not fighting a witcher. Or maybe I would have. Well, Guess we'll hey, never know. who knows? Yeah. Now, what are you chuffed that you got to uh, show with Eve? I it's hard to, hard to think about. I, I always come into, I think with recordings, like always stressed and anxious, like I haven't done enough work. I feel like I did heaps of work. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was just looking at- You often at, do all the work. <laughs> I was just looking at some of my notes and I'm these are three pages on sword fighting stances. <laughs> You fucking nerd. And you just missed. Here are some... Oh, yeah. I know, right? 
I didn't miss the dice. The missed. dice missed. Yeah. Don't blame the dice. Uh, yeah, and having like swear words in Elvish written down. So I don't know. I'm 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 happy that that hopefully there was enough that you got to see of Eve before she died. You know, to to give an impression of a character. Before we move on, I, yeah. I think one of the best things we saw of Eve is that goddamn cosplay. <laughs> it's so good. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, go to our Twitter account if you haven't already and seen it. It's got her scarred nose and everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of Chris. Hi. Chris, this is also from Section M. Hi, it Section seemed M. That Brioch had quite some internal conflict when it came to choosing loyalty to his, quotes, friends and the plight of the elves. We had seen that Brioc could be quite pragmatic when the need arose. Was Brioc assuming that Aurelius would help him after Aurelius' problems had been solved? And was this based on friendship slash loyalty, or was Brioc using Aurelius to further his own cause? In short, what were the motivations of Brioc, and was the betrayal he felt at the end personal in that regard? Great question. So, to unveil part of that, the character generation that I rolled was that uh, my personality towards uh, other races was that elves are okay. Fuck everyone else. Yeah. They should be dead. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I also rolled that my character came from a noble background. Fantastic. That aligns with everything that I've got so far. Brioch is is a a painful pragmatist. Um, Someone who has, uh, who understands that he has uh, lost a lot and should have that back. He and his people have been unfairly treated. um, Dispossessed. Dispossessed. Mm. uh, They have suffered. um, Not uh, necessarily just at the hands of people who seek to do them harm, but by people who are innocent bystanders, who do not understand uh, the suffering of others, who are uh, fail to empathise uh, and fail to communicate. So in terms of his quote-unquote my friend, for the most part, that's all Garbo. Yeah. He's, yes. he's playing people. He's There's a trope um, which is called the uh, indentured servant or, or something like that. Um it's uh, it's actually a, a strategy um, people of color in America use um, to make sure that they can pass in society without being harassed and harmed, uh, particularly popular in like the 1920s and, and, and 30s and 40s. So I, I saw the racial inequality there and based it off real life um, coping strategies. Yeah. What about that final moment? Did you- final moment, yeah. he, he genuinely um, was distraught that Aurelius effectively from his point of view betrayed him there was a coming rounds to friendship um the movement through the wraiths and down and getting lost together was that cementing Mm. um and the knowledge that they both were kind of scheming liars um when the collar was revealed and uh the werewolf collar quality sorry not the collar was revealed the werewolf quality was revealed was like oh okay you're a nightmare human being as well you're a selfish liar and and you don't trust anyone cool. Well, if you're willing to go this far with me, maybe you trust me now. It was a a genuine moment of, I thought we were friends. Yeah, Um, it felt real to me. (laughs) It was a a genuine moment. It wasn't a strategy. Uh, He was was obviously pragmatically leveraging the mage to help with the plight of the elves, but that should have been volunteered just as Brioch volunteered himself. Mm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. The psychology of it, like, you know, Yes, uh, Brioc is a selfish person and therefore thinks that by volunteering it himself, he should get it in turn. Yeah. Yeah. But also, he helped murder someone. It should come back. Jumping over to Sean. Hello, Sean. Hi, Sean. Um, From Section M. Uh, Aurelius was incredibly driven with his mission. How much loyalty was there to the party from his point of view and how much did he care about their motivations? Not being able to cast in the fight with the Catacomb was problematic at best. Was he hiding his curse from only Eve or Brioc as well, who found uh, out regardless? In the end, when Aurelius walks out, was this him walking out on his path feeling numb or was his intention to leave Brioc? Why did he fight when, back when Brioc attacked? Okay, several things here. First of all, in terms of uh, just where his loyalties lay and his motivations in terms of uh, being with a party. He didn't really think about them in that context. There was a means to an end. Every question begins and ends at Razine, and there are opportunities to further that goal. He has a witcher in tow who can fight. He has a merchant who is paying his way. Those are means to an end. Um, And also, it's a world where, you know, no one comes out clean. So, he's not going to judge them, and he doesn't really give a shit whether they judge him back. He's also a character that he knows that everyone has secrets. He has them as well. So, he never felt any problem uh, with hiding the fact that he's a werewolf. He's in the company of a fucking witcher who he believes will absolutely kill him if she finds that out. 
So, of course, he's not going to reveal that. And he doesn't trust them enough to tell them either. Because in reality, he doesn't trust anyone. And why should he in the world that he lives in? And in, in the service of the goal that he wants to do. He trusts them as far as he can throw them. And he can throw them towards a fight, um, basically. <laughs> yeah, um, <that's> <laughs> and in terms of, in the end, um, a few things. Why did he fight back? He's resigned himself to the fact that this may be his last night. It doesn't mean that he's giving up. He knows that it's a possibility that he will die. But it doesn't mean he's going to go out on his back. If there's a chance that he survives, okay, great. If he dies, fine. And he's still a fucking powerful mage. But once he sees the writing on the wall and realizes, yeah, I am dead. Oh, that sounds about right. I can rest. I think we have one more question. We do. It's for Phil. Hey, Phil. Um, Presents around the tree. (laughs) How much did you have to adjust behind the scenes when Eve died to make it work without her? We talked a bit on that. Yeah, we covered this a little bit. Um, While the Witcher died prematurely, the story still worked out quite well without her. Sorry, Ellen. Um, It seems like you made sure that each character had their own motivations to continue with the story regardless of who died. Is this something you came up with in collaboration with the individual players or did you do this behind the scenes? So, it's a little bit of both. I mean, the character motivations come from the characters, from the players who create them. And once we sort of got this idea of... uh, a mage they were hunting and I gave them the kind of we tend to give the players like the kind of general idea of what's happening so uh like when we made when I made red for the guys I was like okay well you, this is the this is the society you live in this is the kind of thing you do for them and in this case it was like okay it's going to be uh in one city it's going to be hunting down this rogue mage right this is about as much as I give them so they can then reflexively tie tie that back into their stories and have motivations around it. So that way it's in collaboration. They come up with characters. I go, okay, I'm going to put these characters in this situation. And then we make sure that everybody has a really nice hook there. And in terms of contingencies, the story and and the events take place independently of the characters. They're just involved in them and witness them. So what you kind of didn't see that I had planned is that the longer the characters take to find Razine, the more bold the elves get. So mm. they begin burning guard houses and shooting the guards as they flee. They begin poisoning w- supplies with their blood using the potion that Razine gives them. And they be- it escalates into sort of an all-out war. And then it becomes you know, inside the city and then it becomes like a matter of survival for the characters. They can't ignore it any longer. They have to do something about it or they have to escape. So there's always... I sort of always have a plan for keeping the story relevant to the characters no matter what happens. The one through Twitter that I can finally talk about, at the Overarchiver. And we've touched on this a bit, but just any final thoughts on this. Thoughts on brutal and often sudden character death. <laughs> this seems to be the topic of... of yeah. Yeah. I, don't know why, I don't know why that is. Oh, whack. What about, what about you? How did you feel about it? I felt terrible. <laughs> You could hear at the end of that episode, and I'm just like, I'm so sorry. No, I know, and I felt terrible because you felt terrible, so it added on to the terrible feeling that I was feeling. No, I, I, I play, I think, with a lot of empathy. Not only that, I think just this series gave me, like, much anxiety. <laughs> Like listening to it, even after the fact, this is, this is a great season and I'm, I'm so proud of all the work that everyone's done and I think it's fucking fantastic. It's such a gripping story. I never want to listen to it again. <laughs> <laughs> great. People lying and scheming and deceiving and betraying makes me feel a bit sick to my stomach, Yeah, <laughs> which can be a good thing. Like, don't get me wrong, it's very visceral. But it is visceral, you know, like, and I think it just, it hurts to see people's agency tossed aside, Yeah, you know, so particularly hanging around for the death, like, you know, it was a gripping moment. And I, as much as it was like, oh my God, fuck, that's, that's, that's it, you know, it was a big moment, but I think it was the casual instances where Eve's personhood which as a witcher is always disregarded, is continued to be disregarded in death. It's just more tragic. The witcher is, is a system and a, a setting for tragic stories. It hurts to experience a tragic story as a face and, you know, a person who put life in yeah. into a character. Yeah. That feels like it was very like, oh, my feelings. But like, you know, no, I, feel like if we don't, I feel like if we don't put feelings into a game, then then what are we doing? You know, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're all actors and I think we all have our own on our own processes, but it's just like if I create a character I don't care about, I'm I'm not doing the best to my ability. I'm not doing sure. the best to fulfill, I think, as an actor. I always have to care about the character, even if I 
don't agree or that's not how I handle things. People love that shit in Game of Thrones, man. Yeah. They love that shit. The fact that people can just die at the drop of a hat is just like people eat that up. They think it's great. Who's going to die next? What can happen? Mm. Nobody knows. And in that in in that instance, the author the authors know they plan those deaths. They happen. In this, they in a role playing game like this, it is really often down to chance. I mean, obviously there are mitigating factors and decisions you can make, but that feeling of like it could happen at any time just gives it so much more stakes and juiciness. And the other point I wanted to make is that people really hate the inverse is when you feel like a character has plot armor and they can't die. Mm. It's just really unsatisfying. I'm one of those people. Mm. Um, you hate that? Yeah, I hate that. Yeah. I, I, I yeah. love the stakes. Like, hell, like, I, and the controversial opinion, I would have been fine if someone in Mystery Down Under died. And I, I like that. I've just like seeing like, mm. just there's these are kids that can absolutely just die. because They're in peril. Like, they're, they're in peril, right? But kind of onto an, another point that's kind of tied into this. Fuck, I relished uh, this season to be able to just be a shit heel <laughs> and just like <laughs> connive and scheme and lie. And like, because also it felt like... Harkening back, this I saw a lot of parallels between this season and going mainstream mm. in a lot of aspects. And I was also looking at the just the fuckery that Bob and Junk got into with one another. And it felt like there's a bit of that here. Well, there's a lot of that with Aurelius and Brioc. It felt like a going mainstream take two in a lot of ways. Like I felt like I got Aurelius right in a way that I didn't get right with Junk. Because I've said many times, I think I failed with Junk. Um, that's just a personal thing on me and how I played him and how I understood the character. And I feel I understood it more and how to play that antagonistic role with Aurelius. I like playing the heels. They're fun. I, I'm a big fan of it, personally. Um, it's the system that I grew up on, second edition D&D. Um, I played Boulder's Gate. It was one of my first games. If you step outside of the main castle and you go off the beaten path, you will die. I grew up in a working class family. Um, the chances of failure are high. The chances of what I call slipping, where you enter into a circumstance that is kind of inescapable where choice is taken away from you agency is taken away from you um i i grew up in that i saw family members go through that and so for me um playing those sorts of games where agency is taken away from from players from characters and circumstances are put on top is something to me that um has a kind of political or socio-political like force to it and i find that really refreshing i find that super engaging um i find that super um it's why i love vampire Mm. um because at the heart there's this horrible beast it's why i love this game i really love the witcher it's i have not played it before until that we've played it and i i love it to bits and it's why i play um in both of those games i play adventure and vampire and i played a rich merchant in this Mm. game um it's to inverse those those uh my own personal experience and to to experiment with uh choice um and death is the the full taking away of choice which i find really uh an exciting and terrifying prospect um that having choices taken away from you having less and less choices taken away from you less and less take choices taken away from you leads to this very dark and uh and gritty uh ends so i got two last questions that i think are quite fitting actually um two questions from karma and so i'm gonna go with the second question first phil First of all, uh, did you have any plans for Eve that you never got to enact? And I know we touched on this a bit. Is there anything else that you can think of? There, there's Basically, there's more combat if the Witcher is still around. Ah, I talked yep. a little bit about this on the Discord that uh, Peggy is sort of an optional fight in a way. Um, she's a, probably, if, if you get there earlier or if the Witcher is still with you, she might be more antagonistic or more protective right and it becomes another fight i also in one iteration of the the kind of finale towards the end i had this idea of Rosina's maybe being like a queen of monsters and so she had like a tribe of neckers down there that also mm. she nice. patronized and lived with so there was more for the witcher to do with her sword and, yeah. and more monsters for her to fight um and this last one is more for uh, ellen how would eve have responded to meeting Rosine? would she have taken a deal with Rosine if given an offer like brioc and aurelius were no nah, mate 
<laughs> nah, like in her life path stuff, the thing she values most is her word. She already spared Razine once. Not going to get lucky twice. Hey. Is that, that is, all our questions? That is all our questions wow. over Twitter, over Discord, and it over a, Karma. It's a good man. All yeah, I've got is a, another mention from the Overarchiver, which was um particular favorite moment for the Overarchiver, which is the part when Aurelius walked up to the gate, I think it was, with the elves, asked some questions. <laughs> And then walked away. Oh yes, in the um, in the street. Yeah, in Serpent Street, where they're like, "You should leave." He's like, mm, mm, "I guess I am going <laughs> to." <Okay. laughs> I just would not have a bar of you. Yeah. I do yeah. not want to because I don't want to obey you, but I'm going to. I'm doing this because I want to <laughs> do this. No, I have this idea. Me. Yeah. Oh, my so that about wraps it up. Thank you so much for all your questions. It's been really great to see uh, what it is that you guys have responded to uh, and what you guys enjoyed and 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 the bits that intrigued you i just want to say thank you to to all three of you as well for bringing some amazing characters uh, and diving headfirst into the story it was a real pleasure once again to run this story for you and before i throw it to chris i will once again thank our patrons for making this podcast possible it really is down to your support that we get to continue doing this for six seasons and, and a to movie. tell and you, a, and six seasons and a movie. Yeah. Thank you so much, Phil, for running. Yeah, uh, you are the only three-time champion at Rollercast here so far. <laughs> the belt. But as far as next week is concerned, we're not quite done with The Witcher. We have one more week. We obviously do our end-of-season interview with the creators, and so we have a two-time champion coming back, uh, which will be Cody Pondsmith. And in what we've been told is uh, her very first podcast interview will be Lisa Pondsmith because The very, Witcher is made by Pondsmith and Pondsmith. It's very exciting. It's it's a fantastic interview and um, they were very lovely to, yeah, so that's <laughs> to, Ellen and myself. to chat to us at 3.30 in the morning oh, on yeah. our end. Our on our end. end. Yeah. We, would, we would never dream of asking <laughs> you know, fellow people to be interviewed uh, to come online at 3.30 in the morning. So we yeah, work jump. hard. Stay up at 3 a.m. to do these uh, interviews for you. Right? For so, you. <laughs> so jump on, uh, jump into this podcast again next week to see Ellen and myself interviewing Cody Ponsmith and Lisa Ponsmith about all things Witcher and themselves. But what happens beyond that? Uh, we have the next DM, keeper, storyteller, all of the above in Chris. Chris, do you want to tell us about the next season of Roll to Cards? Absolutely, I do. Last time I ran a game that was dark and gritty with vampires and terrible, terrible things. And we've just experienced more of that mm. uh, in this season. So I'm tripling down, not doubling <laughs> down. Tripling, I'm making it. No, I'm not. Um, we are playing a total tonal diversion from that. We are going in a completely different direction. We're exploring the world of fantasy. We're exploring the world of youthful optimism of changing the world for the better. We're going to a approximation of Eastern culture, an amalgamation of Eastern culture. We're going to Nickelodeon in the mid-2000s. <laughs> We're going to Avatar. Woo. We're going to play Avatar Legends, Yay! the role-playing game. It's going to be a lot presses. of fun. Fresh the off the presses. The that could. The game just got released at the time of recording. I think we've had it for maybe a month. Yeah. Uh, yes. Well, yeah. We didn't have the, just the jumpstart. We had the full rules. Yes, because... Yeah. Uh, we we had a, a kickstart. Big got on got involved in that. Yeah, Ellen, Ellen. big old money money bags. McGee Ellen slapped yeah. down for the Kickstarter. Absolutely. Give me that. I want it first. <laughs> and uh, we've got some fun stories to tell. Where it's taking it taking place. Should I? What should I say? Should I give us the title for yeah. a start? So the name of the season is called Homeland, and it is about citizens of the Earth Kingdom defending against the Fire Nation in the 100-year war. So, uh, like, seven years before the events of Avatar, the last airbender. Yeah. Um, so there's going to be lots of firebending, lots of uh, young people trying to defend towns. There's going to be... Teenage um, melodrama. Teenage oh, melodrama. There's going to be Maybe lots some of tears. <laughs> unrequited love. And there's going to be... A new player. Yes! For for fans of ye olde Patreon (laughs) bonus episodes, uh, uh, Zola Allen, the wonderful Zola Allen, Allen, who was on a Lunch Dates with Loki episode. Yeah. Yeah. Talking Uh, about Prince Zuko. So Zola is coming in for season seven. Yeah, she's our special guest star for that season. uh, And we're really excited to have her. She's an expert in the Avatar field. Avatarology. Avatarology. An amazing actor to boot. And an amazing actor as well. Yeah, she's fantastic. Uh, We've got four amazing characters. And a gripping story about revenge, romance, uh, justice, justice, family redemption. lines, redemption, tradition, truth, 
force care <laughs> and bending <laughs> and bending and so bending. much bending, and bending. Wow. Uh, look it's it's going to be it's uh, i think if this one was great, th- the next one is going to be amazing as well. I think yeah. we keep going. Take every, that, Phil. Every <laughs> season is from strength <laughs> to strength. I think it's it's uh, every season we learn more about how we all work together. Every season we learn more about how to tell amazing collaborative stories. And and the Avatar season is going to be fantastic. So make sure you're subscribed to Roll to Cast. So that'll Ooh. be dropping not next week. Again, that is the interview next week. And then the week after we've got our episode zero and you're here all about the preparation, the initial yes. behind the scenes, what goes, mm. uh, anticipation right before we begin to play. Linking our life stories together mm. as players and as characters. So yes, until next week, uh, playing Aurelius Tarnair, I've been Sean. I've been Ellen. And I was Eva Perch. I've been Chris as your friend Brioch. And I was the GM, Phil. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Thanks for joining us. You have been listening to The Blood Soaked Rose, which is a Roll to Cast production. The best way to find us is on Twitter, Discord, and our Patreon. All our podcasts are on Acast, Spotify, YouTube, and all good podcatchers. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Roll to Cast. The Witcher tabletop role-playing game is property of Artelsorian Games, used with permission. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.